Napa know-how. Keeping it simple is usually a good thing. And when it comes to rewards programs, keeping it simple is always a good thing. That's why we made the Napa Rewards program effortless. All you need is your phone number to start saving on the parts and tools you need. Then we automatically give you $5 off your next purchase for every 100 you spend. So start saving today with Napa Rewards. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Blog Talk Radio. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the wide array of emotions that every single one of us felt on Sunday afternoon going into Sunday evening for those on the East Coast. I'm Matt Kanata. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Aaron Sutton and Josh House, and behind the scenes, James McKinney. And this, this, this voice, this emotion, that's what it felt like. That's what it felt like after Sunday's game. We were sitting there. I was texting Howard Sutton. We were all texting each other, and we're like, this really might happen. This really may happen. I was in a, a private message on Twitter with a bunch of other Dolphins fans. We were all talking, you know, going crazy. I texted Sutton. I texted Howard. I said, listen, if we win, we're going on, on the radio. Um, we are going to have a show. We're going to take some callers, celebrate a little bit. And up until 30 seconds till, till the end of the game, and then, then they scored, and it was like, crap. Okay, number one, we're not doing a show. And number two, this just happened again with a brand-new coaching staff and a bunch of new players. And after the game, a lot of things are being thrown around. Uh, one of the things that was being thrown around was a moral victory. And what exactly is a moral victory? Straight from Wikipedia, one of the most reliable sources on the Internet, a moral victory occurs when a person, team, army or other group loses a confrontation and yet achieves some other moral gain. This gain might be related to the confrontation in question and the gain is often considerably less than what would have been accomplished 
if an actual victory had been achieved. <laughs> Let me continue. For example, a sports team that is a heavy underdog and loses narrowly to a superior opponent might claim a moral victory, acquitting themselves well even in defeat. A team that plays fairly, and this is straight from Wikipedia. I'm not making this part up. A team that plays fairly and loses to a cheating team <clears throat> might also claim a moral victory in spite of the loss. So that's kind of our question to, to you guys tonight. Uh, was it a moral victory? And, you know, it's hard to say because there's so many things that can happen with a moral victory and, and so many things that you could say that happened. I'm going to pull up something that I saw on Twitter if you can hear me typing, it's because I'm pulling it up now. Um, with Tony Dungy, when he went to Tampa Bay, when he first took over with the Buccaneers, and they were just miserable. Uh, they were like the Browns, maybe worse than the Browns. They hardly ever won. So this is from uh, Twitter, uh, uh, NFLosophy. The guy used to work for the Buccaneers in some capacity. Uh, he's, he's pretty anonymous, so I don't really know who he is or what he used to do, but he no longer works for them. But he told the story back in August, and, and I read the story back in August. And I'm like, wow, you know, that really struck a chord. And when I was driving home from McDonald's on Sunday night after buying my wife French fries and myself a soda and a coffee, uh, because that's a great combination, soda and a coffee. Soda and quick, coffee? You are nuts, man. Listen, you got to go hot, then cold, then hot, then cold. And it's just bad. Um, it's <laughs> I, want, I want a soda right now. Uh, anyways, so, here, so here's, what it, here's what it says. And just bear with me because it's really interesting. And it's pop, and by the way. It's not soda. It's pop. Okay, you just, Southerners or wherever you're from. Just so we're clear, there it is pop. Okay, so. yeah. Okay, you and, your, you and your lingo. You and your lingo down there. <laughs> All right, just bear with me because this is a really good story. And it applies to dolphins in a sense. So uh, he wrote, going to retell an anecdote I once read from Tony Dungy that I love and think is so important. Dungy had just become the coach of the Bucks, who were the worst team ever in the history of the NFL to this point. Dungy knew he had to change the losing mentality of the team. They had always been losers and had fallen into the rut of that thinking. While the Dolphins have had success, and I'm just straying away quickly, the Dolphins have had success. They're kind of in that mentality too, always finding a way to lose, it seems like. So he continued. So Dungy decided that during camp, he was going to fly the team up to Jacksonville for a scrimmage to test their will and mental toughness. Now, when teams fly, they always fly the day before a game or scrimmage, stay at the hotel the night before, and then play the next day. Dungy decided that on this trip, his team would fly the morning of their scrimmage up to Jacksonville and fly back afterwards. The players grumbled at Dungy's decision, but ultimately had to accept it. So the day comes and they fly out. The Bucks land in Jacks, head to the stadium for practice and scrimmage, and the Jacks end up winning. It wasn't a blowout, but Jags won easily. After the scrimmage, Dungy goes into the locker room and comes down on his players in his own special Dungy way. He comes down pretty hard. After Dungy calls out nearly every unit for every miss that they had during the scrimmage, he begins to notice a surprise in their faces. Finally, one of the players speaks up. But coach, considering the circumstances that we just flew in this morning, we think we played okay. Dungy lost it. Considering the circumstances, you either win or lose. The circumstances are irrelevant in the NFL. You win no matter what. It didn't matter if it was 100 degrees or zero. It didn't matter if it was snow, sleet, rain, or sunshine. There is no excuse for losing. This was the exact mentality that Dungy was hoping to coax out. Only losers let the circumstances become excuses. Winners win, period. 
It was Dungy's first moment to exhibit the high expectations he had for his new team and set them on the path to recovery from losing weight. And that is uh, from Dungy's book, Quiet Strength. And NFL Osophy tweeted it out. He tweeted out the expert excerpts. And that really strikes a chord with me. Sutton, we know we all had emotions, but just to touch on this moral victory thing, is there such thing in the NFL? I mean, we just kind of touched on it there straight from Dungy's mouth. And I'm just thinking, excuses, okay, you're playing one of the best teams in the NFL. You're playing in the loudest stadium in the NFL. You're playing in the most hostile environment pretty much in the NFL. You're playing against the team that was uh, just in the Super Bowl two years ago and then won the Super Bowl three years before that and would have won two years ago too if it wasn't for a super play call at the line of scrimmage on the one-yard line. And then, and then I talked further down and said that Dungy said that, you know, they don't, don't make excuses. You see the Patriots go into Arizona without Brady, without Gronk, without some of their linebackers, without some of their offensive line, without a whole bunch of players, and they go in and win the game. Sutton, what is – did you see this as a moral victory? Because after I read that, I had a lot of trouble seeing this as a moral victory. Yeah, I think just the moral victory is just kind of a loaded term. I prefer to think of thinking about a game in which you lose in such a way where there was some good stuff that we did throughout that game. And we were winning at Seattle with four minutes left in the fourth quarter. So that's, that really happened. So we can't deny that, that, that we were that close. So I just prefer to see it as silver lining. And as you move forward, you always have to have a pulse of what you're doing well and what you're doing crappy. Now, granted, that Seattle game highlighted some of the stuff that we're, we're doing crappy, but I don't see it as a moral victory per se, because like you said, then it gets into, well, are we satisfied with how that game turned out? And I don't know that any Dolphins player was really satisfied with, you know, um, with the outcome of that game. I'm sure every one of them had a better taste in their mouth after that game, being that close, losing in the fashion that we did. Um, So, yeah, but wow, what just an, an emotional roller coaster that game and, that's why we watch the NFL. I mean, I'm pretty sad right now as a Dolphins fan, but my goodness, I haven't had that range of emotions in a three-hour span in a really long time. I mean, oh, my gosh, that was such a, an incredible game to watch just from a pure uh, being a fan standpoint. And NC Money, you had uh, alluded to the text messages we were sending back and forth, and I was thinking about just reading what we said because it is actually the perfect – emotional roller coaster and it's going to sum everything up if you have kids put some earmuffs on there will be some intermittent cuss words throughout this exchange or i'll give you about 10 seconds to just walk them out of the room real quick <laughs> so how's the weather guys are they out of the room yet okay all right i'm going to get started all right so mc money texts me and he says sutton show at 7:30 if we win i say i'm down and then mc money says okay let us pray and I said, OMG, I'm spazzing. Then he says, my leg is twitching. And then I say, get a stop. Come on. This is fucking nuts either way. And then I just type, shit. Then he types, fuck my life. And then I said, and then I said is this going to end like I think it's going to? And he goes, no. And I said, fucking better not holding you personally responsible. He says, shut the fuck up. I say, let's get a sack. He says, fuck. I say, ugh, for crying out loud. And then yeah. he says, no shit. 
and then we don't yeah. talk to each other until today. So <laughs> yeah, so that was wow. I mean, I definitely had to have my Sunday. moments where I was crying in the fetal position. Um, but being able to step back a little bit, we did do some good things. Adam Gase had us in a position to win in Seattle. Um, I don't know that most of us, whether we want to admit to it or not, probably didn't give ourselves that benefit of the doubt. So just the fact that we were competitive um, in that sense, uh, wow, just minutes away from beating them. What do you think, House? Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's no such thing as a moral victory. Um, like Dungey said, all that matters is wins, losses. I mean, that's nothing. It sucks. You get, You definitely get to see – the strengths and weaknesses of this team. I mean, there's a lot of good that came from this game. The, the defense looked better than I ever expected. And um, the offense was a little lackluster at first, but once it seemed like they let Tannehill kind of have more input in the play calling, it seemed to go a lot better. And, I mean, yeah, there's no such thing as a moral victory, but there was definitely some good to take from this game. Right, I agree. Yeah, just moral victory, like I said, just too low to the, of a term. It invites apathy, and we certainly don't want to be an apathetic football team, which some could argue that we have been over the last decade or so. So I think what MC Money is trying to say, like we um, can take positives from this game, but we cannot start getting into the rut of thinking, oh, this is just the Miami Dolphins, because once we get complacent as fans and get complacent as players, then it really becomes a dire straits after that. So what do you think, MC Money? Yeah, you know, I would have to I would have to agree with that. And I, I don't know, it was a really tough game. And I was screening a call so I didn't hear what you were saying. Um Oh sorry. Yeah, that's man, okay. I when um when Cam Wake uh I, that was so uncharacteristic of him, but that was the uh, play you know that what? stuck out. Like, no, listen, really... listen, listen, listen. I felt like he got held on that play. I mean not held in the sense of a holding but the offensive tackle, yeah, you might say a pancake, but he literally tackled Cam Wake to the ground and just laid on top of him. Did you guys notice that, or is that just me being overly positive and trying to make thing up, something out of nothing? Well, no, I, actually couldn't like t- I actually couldn't tell if the tackle just kind of threw him past the quarterback and then he got up, or if he actually was grabbed then pancaked, like you said, and then got back up and hit him. I mean, either way, it's still – probably too close of a call for Cam Wake to take that shot in the back like that when the ball had yeah, already been and, and I made so a mistake of watching. Was... And then if we're talking about players, and we're going to talk about this a little more, but since we're on the subject right now, um, Byron Maxwell leaving Doug Baldwin wide open in the middle of the field on the last drive. Such a killer. Um, but let's get back on track here, and we'll talk about these, you know, these plays later on. Just that emotional roller coaster, and I know everyone felt it. I mean, Every Dolphins fan that didn't bet on the game, uh, that didn't bet on the Seahawks to cover the spread, oh, man, you know, you're sitting there, you're like, this is really happening. You're sitting there and the game starts, you're like, the Dolphins have, really have no chance. Let's just be competitive. And then after the first quarter, it's 3-0. And then you go into the half and it's 6-3, and you're like, all right, Miami might actually have a chance. And then the Dolphins are fighting and they get in field position to tie the game and the field gets blocked. You're like, all right, they'll get the ball one or two more times. Okay. Then they get the ball. Then they march down the field and score a touchdown. And you're like, holy crap, this is really happening. The Dolphins might actually win the game. New coaches, new system. They're going to be able to make the stop. 
And then the Seahawks start from basically like 10, 15 yard line. You're like, oh my God, you know, there's no way they're going to make score a touchdown. And plus, and Russ, they, Russell Wilson was having a high ankle yeah, sprain, so you really yeah. can't They're like, like move right, around and do that kind of stuff. And then, then it's first down, and then it's another first down, and then it's third down, and then it's first down, and then it's fourth down. You're like, all right, here it is. And then it's first down, and then they just keep on moving the chains. And then there's 33 seconds left in the second down of the goal line. Like, all right, the Dolphins are going to stop this. They're going to stop it. And then they score a touchdown. And then you see the flag come out, and you hear the announcers going crazy. This is coming back. This is coming back. This is coming back. And everyone's getting excited. Oh, it's, it's uh, offensive pass interference. Then they then they pull, put the flag back in their pants and they're like, oh no, it's a touchdown. And then we're like, all right, we got what one timeout left or whatever it was, one timeout. But, or but yeah, then they missed the field goal. So then you get then like they missed the field goal. So now like, all right, field goal you know, we we've seen this before. We got the deep threat and Kenny Stills. Maybe they can actually tie the, or win the game. Maybe Tannehill can get them in field position. And then Tannehill launches a long pass and just overthrows Stills, who hopefully would have caught it if it was in his hands. And they're like, all right, he was open. Now we got a chance. And then, and then it just, yeah, it got bad. So, yeah, it was a pretty crappy Sunday, you know. And I'm just going to sit here and be quiet the rest of the show. We do have our first caller <laughs> of the evening. Uh, we do have our first caller of the evening, Dolphins fan for life. He wants to talk about yeah. you know, moral, moral victory. Um, sounds a little stoned or whatever. So we'll bring him on the air. Hopefully it's nothing like last week. Uh, give him a few seconds to talk, <laughs> on, and then we'll take it away. <laughs> all right, all right, hold on. Dolphins fan for life, welcome to the show. Welcome to Finsider Radio. Thank you. And all no, right, I'm what do you stoned. what do you got for us, buddy? And no, I'm not stoned. I'm stuffed. You're stuffed. I ate no, a bad. lot of pot. Yeah. My bad, bro. <laughs> apple pie, apple pie, <laughs> or blueberry pie. Um, Italian food. Italian. Oh, okay. You know what I ate for dinner? I had Chinese food and I just had a few drinks. So I'm not stuffed. I'm just a little buzzed. But go ahead. Now, I mean, I wrote a post uh, on Finsider, I mean, uh, on our blog site explaining, you know, the whole 2007 debacle. But, I mean, yeah, we lost, but we were supposed to lose by 30 according to every single expert in the book. And, I mean... The biggest underdog like, in the NFL, according to Vegas, you know? Minus seven and a half, yep. And, I mean, questions, Kiko Alonso, Mario Williams, you basically have the defense like you did in 2008, made out of a bunch of outcasts who were expected to not be anything like they put out on the field. Oh, they're too old. They're too slow. Look at what they did in Philly. Look at what they did in Buffalo. You know, basically Mario Williams came out, and until the head injury came came on, he basically made Rex look like an idiot, like mm-hmm. he doesn't know well, how to use personnel. And that's a great point. That's a great point because think about what happened to our pass rush when we when he went out of the game when we needed him the most that last drive of the fourth quarter we were getting to Russell Wilson so well when he went out of the game our our pass rush disappeared. It it was him and I believe Jordan Phillips got hurt too. Um, yeah, he was in and out. So I mean, all these people that. Basically, we said, oh, they're not going to be nothing. Look in the preseason at Kiko Alonso. 
oh, look, he's bouncing off tackles. That dude was a, a human pinball last night. Mm-hmm. And not in a bad way, but he was just like literally, I watched him knock one dude out onto the sidelines just so that he could make a play, you know, since he couldn't make the tackle. But, yeah. I mean, credit where credit's due, yeah, we can say that they left a lot on the field, but they also put a lot out on the field. So, I mean, yeah, you don't have to be ecstatic. Yay, we lost. But, I mean, at least acknowledge that there's some good things that, that happened. You know, yeah. give the credit no. to those players that did go balls to the wall. I definitely hear you, buddy. And you are you are right about that. And I'm going to put you on mute here because – we need to get moving on to our show. And again, I thank you for calling in. But we touched on all of that. And I agree. There were a lot of great things going on. And I said I was struggling with the moral victory. And you guys talked about that, Sutton, and how it's about your views of moral victory. And this was a big debate on Twitter, you know, following the game and the going into the morning after. Um, to me, there's no, there's no column in the, in, the, in the losses for moral victory. There's wins and losses. There's not three. There's win, losses, and ties. So there's not four, I should say. Uh, but, but here's the thing. Um, Crap, what was I going to say? Here's the thing. The key for the Dolphins is not so much a moral victory. The key for the Dolphins is to take what they did well, clean up what they didn't do well, and carry that over into the New England game on Sunday. If they can play with the same level of intensity, if they could play with the same kind of consistency that they played in the areas they did well, then this team is on the right track. If they're like the former Dolphins where they play really well and they play up to the level of their opponent one week, then they fall off the face of the earth the next week, then we know we got a lot of work to do. So I'm really looking forward to Sunday. And Adam Gase, you know, I thought he had a good press conference the day after. He didn't have many regrets. He did regret not listening to Tannehill as much. We're going to see that get fixed. Uh, he did say we're going to win. We're going to win. We're going for the win. We're going to go up for it again and again and again on fourth down. So that was, you know, that was a little ballsy to say. And I'm not sure I totally agree with that because on one hand, you want a coach who's aggressive like that. On the other hand, you got to understand the situation. You're on the road in a hostile environment. I think you may have wanted to go for the tie in the beginning of the game and get the points on the board. So there's a fine line between being aggressive or reckless and smart or reckless. So Adam Gates is a rookie head coach. I have no doubt he's going to figure it out. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to Sunday and how the Dolphins respond and move forward after that. Okay, we just had our first caller on the air. We have anything on the live thread going on, guys? Uh, how Sutton, what do we got on live thread? Basically, someone's asking uh, what can be done to fix what has become institutionalized dropsies. Yeah. Okay. So, so what, is your, what is your answer for that house? I, I guess what they really need to do is continue to work after practice on the jugs machine. And, uh, I mean, no one's perfect. Everyone's going to drop passes. That Kenny Stills ball, I'd, I I still have nightmares about that. I'm not really sure what could have been done there. I guess maybe he just had too much. He was just thinking about catching that ball and running in for the the easy touchdown, and he just got in his own head. But I mean, all they gotta do is all they really can do is just keep practicing, keep working on the reps with Tannehill, and hopefully the dropsies go away. All right, Sutton. What else we got on the live thread going on? Well, I got a fantastic question by this uh, dumbass named Matthew Canada where he asked, yeah. is a hot dog a sandwich? All right, um, so what do you think about that one? I mean, that's a real brain buster. Okay. You know, it might be better to ask your mom Bushrod about hot dogs. Um, <laughs> I think he might be the, the expert on cylinder-shaped meats. So uh, perhaps we could refer that question to him. 
Um, but I would, from my humble perspective as a Midwesterner, I would say, no, it's not a sandwich because it's not two individual slices of bread. A hot okay. dog bun is kind of has that connective tissue type thing down at the bottom to keep the two bun Absolutely. layers together. And Absolutely. so I think you have to classify a sandwich <laughs> as two complete separate entities. Uh, okay, and according to the American Heritage Dictionary, a sandwich, like you said, is two or more slices of bread with a filling, such as meat or cheese placed between them, or a partly split long or round roll containing a filling. Oh, thus, bun plus dodger dog equals, and then it got cut off, and I don't feel like clicking it to go on to the next page. All right, there's <laughs> another question for us. Um, another one, if I may, from I'm an F18, bro. I'm sure you'll touch on A.J. Hawk, and we're really not going to be the Dolphins signed Donald Butler. But anyways, I'll finish the question. How do his strengths match up with what uh, Vance Joseph wants to do on defense? To me, scheme is everything. Scheme can make or break a player. you got to work with people's strengths. Mario Williams is a great example, and I completely agree with that. You do have to work to the people's strengths. You have to figure out the scheme that fits them best. We've seen player after player go from one scheme to the next and either do really good in one scheme and fail miserably the next or fail miserably in one scheme and, and excel in the next. And Albert Hainsworth wrote a letter to his younger self, and it was published about last year or two years ago. And he said if he had to do it all over again, he would have never left the Titans. Because the Titans scheme is what made him the player that he was. Then he went to Washington. He was in a completely different scheme. And like you're saying now, Mario Williams, it was one game. But, yes, it's a good example. But I'm not going to touch on A.J. Hawk because, like I just said, the Dolphins signed Donald Butler. Uh, Presumably they uh, decided between those two. Okay, Donald Butler, the Dolphins wanted a thumper who can play meaningful snaps. For them on defense, uh, they also – this is their seventh linebacker. And today they signed Donald Butler after uh, he worked out with them. He was one of the top linebackers who came out of the 2010 draft. He was picked number 79 overall by the Chargers. And uh, he was released by the Chargers in March 2016 after playing six seasons. Picked up by the Cardinals in July, released on the final cut to 53. Uh, so he had some issues, obviously, in training camp and had some issues with the Chargers. He's 6'1", 242 pounds, 238 career tackles, including seven career sacks, five forced fumbles, six career recovered fumbles, 27 years old, suffered a dislocated elbow in December 2014. And uh, according to Armando Salguero of the Miami Herald, he was a locker room leader and even team captain for the Chargers and had signed a multi-year contract extension when the team released him. So, you know, there were some issues going on there. They did place Earl Mitchell on injured reserve uh, with a chance to return. He was nursing a calf injury all preseason and, according to Salguero, aggravated the injury against Seattle. They also worked out nose tackle Barry Cofield. Uh, we just mentioned A.J. Hawk. They also worked out linebacker Nate Irving, defensive tackle Corey Johnson, a defensive end C.J. Wilson. And that is, again, according to Armando Salguero of the Miami Herald. So I don't think they're going to sign A.J. Hawk. They might sign a defensive tackle, but Donald Butler is joining the team. Don't expect to make an impact right away. you got to learn the system, and you have to uh, – you know, move on from there. All right, let's jump back to the Seattle game. I, I know it's, it's tough to do so and to get these emotions out of the way, okay? Um, one thing that stood out on offense for you, Sutton. Uh, one thing that stood out for me on offense was uh, no turnovers. I thought that was um, going into Seattle. We were worried about the communication, uh, with it being that loud, Tannehill having all those newfound freedoms at the line of scrimmage, so we were wondering how that's going to work out. 
and relatively few miscues and no turnovers. So I thought that was a good thing going forward. It was clear as part of the game plan to, you know, we cannot beat ourselves. And for the most part, we didn't until, uh, you know, that last drive. But um, that was the one thing that stood out for me. Um, on the flip side, on a little bit of the negative side, the one thing that stood out was letting Tannehill – uh, take some incredible shots in there. Oh, uh, one God, where KJ Wright just fucking destroyed him into the ground. His, his head bounced off the ground. Never want to see that with your quarterback. So hopefully we can get those those stunts seem to screw with us for whatever reason. If you watch him running into the end zone um, when he scored that touchdown, he got lit up. Oh, my God. Um, Houts, one thing that stood out for you on offense. Uh, for me, it was late in the game when Tannehill kind of almost took over when he marched the team down the field. Uh, I think there was that one time when he was they were at the goal line, and I was sitting there just yelling, QB draw, QB draw, and they ended up finally running one after all these years. Tannehill up the middle for the touchdown. It was, uh, it was awesome. Okay, and for me, I'm going to go towards the negative. I'm sorry I'm going to do this. But Laramie Tunsil struggled mightily against the uh, stunts and, and with other guys. And I think he'll just learn. You know, he needs to learn that he can't just use his strength now. He needs to use technique. This is one of the things with Billy Turner, too. And, and Tunsil's going to be light years better than uh, Billy Turner. But all rookies need to learn this when they first come in. Um, it's just the nature of the game. And he will get better. I'm positive he will get better. And so I'm looking forward to how he responds. One thing that stood out to me on defense was the aggressiveness of Xavier Howard. Uh, Adam Gase even mentioned this in his day after press conference, how aggressive that Howard was and, and how that stood out on tape to him and how that really, you know, they knew he was aggressive going back to college, but they didn't realize that he was this aggressive. And it looks like Xavier Howard's really stepped it up a bit. And it's finally, um, not finally, he's a rookie, but starting to figure out what it takes to succeed at the cornerback position. And that is definite physicality. And it's going to be nice to watch him develop as the season goes on and hopefully becomes a lockdown corner on the opposite side of the field on Byron Maxwell. House defense for you? Yeah, for me, I think last week I said uh, the key to the Dolphins' season was Kiko Alonso, and I think uh, the way he played on Sunday, he, he showed more flashes of the Buffalo Kiko Alonso than the one we saw in Philly last year. So, I mean, he had 11 tackles, recovered a fumble, seemed to be all over the place. Sure, he had a few minor issues here and there, but Overall, Kiko Alonso really impressed this Sunday. So, and your thoughts on Kiko, defense, one thing. Yeah, Kiko Alonso kicked to total butt that game, so I was I was proud of him as well. And we knew that the defensive line had to get – they had to dominate to give us a chance, and they did. So, uh, hopefully we get over the injury bug pretty quickly as Dolphin for life when he called in, was talking about the injury to Jordan Phillips and then the concussion to Mario Williams. So hopefully those guys are okay. But uh, I'll give my tip of the hat to Jordan Phillips. He showed up out of nowhere and made some he plays. Did. I he mean, did. he you had right. totally disappeared all training camp. We're, I mean, he's getting leapfrogged by Earl Mitchell and by some accounts, Julius Wormsley. And it's like, Damn, we wasted another second-round pick, and then who knows? Maybe this guy's just a gamer, but he made some plays. And just really the the overall defense, they kept us in that game, obviously, the entire game. So I was very impressed with the way that they that they schemed Seattle um, with with that last drive notwithstanding. I mean, 
other than that, it was a brilliant defensive day for us. Yeah, and we're going to uh, see if it was just because of Seattle's offensive line and the short passes, or if it's really Vance Joseph just scheming to everyone's best of their abilities and figuring everything out on the defensive side of the ball. Let's go now to fantasy talk. Uh, one thing that's very hard for people to figure out is fantasy football. And I know for me, I had guys like Melvin Gordon on the bench. I had Jordan Matthews on the bench. Um, I started Adrian Peterson in two leagues, and we all know how he did. Does Bryant one point. And let's face it, guys, fantasy football is a total and complete toss-up. There's some guys, you know, who are going to score your points every single week, and there are some guys that are just unpredictable. And then, of course, the guys that come out of nowhere. And at the beginning of fantasy football season, it's all about attacking that waiver wire and figuring out who you're going to pick up and figuring out, you know, who you may be able to drop. And, and guys who in preseason looked really good and thought had a uh, hold on a starting job, maybe split touches on Sunday. Someone like Devin Coleman and Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman, obviously not dropping Devontae Freeman, but that is a situation worth monitoring and sucks for me because I have Freeman in about every one of my seven leagues that I am in. Um, you know, for me, I went six and one in my leagues this week. I almost lost last night. If I had to cut one more pass, I won by uh, 1.75 points. Um, I lost by like 20 in another league, but six and one, I'll take six and one absolutely uh, for the first week of the season. Like I said, Melvin Gordon had a hell of a game. D'Angelo Williams was a beast. Um, Drew Brees was, was yeah. launching the ball, throwing up those points, man. Kirk Cousins had an off day, really bad. Uh, Matt Stafford lit it up. Uh, Jordan Matthews, you know, had a nice day. Carson Wentz, probably on, you know, everybody's waiver wire, pretty much, probably. Maybe a few Philadelphia fans had him in the starting position. He did well. A lot of good players did really well. A lot of average players from last year did really well. And a lot of great players like Des Bryant and Adrian Peterson uh, did really bad. And I don't, I think it's still too early to panic about those guys. Wait and see, let it play out. And, you know, they're good back. How uh, did you notice anything crazy going on the first week of the season that impacted you? I mean, other than what you said, in one league I had Adrian Peterson and Devontae Freeman, and I mean, throughout the entire, it was a keeper league, so I just kept thinking like, okay, these two guys are going to be pretty consistent, and then them to combine come up with seven points, it was it, that's ugly. Um, for me, Corey Coleman looked good in Cleveland. I mean, I know he, I think he dropped a pass, but Corey Coleman looks like a guy that might be worth, you know, taking a look at on waiver wires. I mentioned last week Eli Rogers. He seemed to have a pretty good game for Pittsburgh last yeah, week. Yeah, I agree. Yes, he, yep. I, know that, yep. I know that touchdown was kind of a fluke, but overall it looked like he was targeted early and often, and the Steelers' offense looks like it's yep. going to be something to, to watch. So, I mean, Eli Rogers is a guy I would definitely keep an eye on. Yep. All just right. imagine what that Steelers' offense is going to look like when Le'Veon Bell comes comes oh back, God. and well, I guess yeah. we'll see for ourselves, won't we? I'll be um, – I'm nervous. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if any if my league is typical or not, but I, I found Willie Sneed on, on waiver, so I'm hoping nobody from my fantasy league is listening because I would like to pick him up after going <laughs> uh, buck 72 and a touchdown. So that New Orleans yeah. – you know, that New Orleans passing attack looks for real this year. Um, yeah. Nothing – it's hard to put too much stock into the, the first week of the fantasy season. I think you have to play things out just a little bit because you know you're going to end up kicking your you're kicking yep. yourself if you spent a third-round pick on somebody. You end up getting antsy and jumping the gun, and he ends up pr- producing for you. Um, yeah. 
I will just say, just shed a tear for me. I did draft Keenan Allen, who's out for the year, so I'm going to have to. Um, and yeah. so I'm trying to pick up Willie Snead. That was a tough one. So tough uh, one. say a prayer for me so you can get through the, these tough times without him. Yep. And the waiver wire, we you kind of mentioned a few guys there. Tajay Sharp's another one that might be on your waiver wire. Yep. Um, if Tevin Coleman's out there, he got – I think he actually out-snapped um, Devontae Freeman there. So he may be yeah. – yeah, yeah, he may be someone to look at picking up. And there's quite a few others, you know, just really, really read up. And your fantasy leagues are one on the waiver wire. Trust me. You do your draft, you got your core players. But if you look at your teams, usually at the end of the year, they're really nothing compared to what you started with when you first drafted a team. Really follow the waiver wire. You need to. If you want to win, you need to follow the waiver wire. Um, Dolphins fantasy impact from this past Sunday. Kenny Stills would have had a great game. He would have had, if, if you're playing a PPR, even a not a PPR, uh, 70 yard touchdown. That would have been um, seven points, six points. That's 13. If you have a PPR league, you got 14 points right there from that one catch. And then he had a few others. He would have put up close to 20 points, maybe a little over. Jarvis Landry had his typical PPR game. In a standard league, Jarvis Landry is worthless. In a PPR, he's he's gold. Arian Foster, what he had like 60, 70 yards. He had a you know okay game against Seattle defense. You probably shouldn't have been starting him anyways. And Tannehill, you know, it's too early to be relying on Tannehill at all. Um, going into next week against New England again is I, Jarvis Landry. If you're a PPR, you play him obviously. Tannehill, I'm still looking at and watching. I'm not ready to put him in the, any starting lineup yet. I'm not even ready to pick him off the waiver wire. Kenny Stills has to show me more. Devontae Parker has to come back healthy and play a few games before anyone should do anything on him. But I would play Arian Foster. So the two I would play this week are Arian Foster and Jarvis Landry. Um, did I miss anything, Houston Sutton, before we move on to the Patriots? Oh, I can think of his last, uh, this past week, Dolphins defense. I think they were the second-ranked defense in fantasy. So, I mean, that was something to that, that was something I did not expect to see. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for, yeah, forcing to what two turnovers and keeping them to twelve points, and yeah, we did some good stuff. Yeah. Issa Abilkudis, I believe, was or Kadus. I believe was the number one fantasy, or I'm sorry, number one PFF rated safety for the for week one. So we're looking at that. But getting back to fantasy, um, Antonio Brown was absolutely unstoppable. Uh, well worth the number one pick. I never thought a wide receiver would be worth the number one pick, but he most certainly is. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if. Uh, Arian Foster is going to de- develop into the number one fantasy running back that we want, but granted, he was going against the Seattle defense and um, had that right. nice little right. swing pass there I, I and think, made a play. So. I think Foster looks good, and I think he's going to only get better, of course, as long as he stays healthy, but as long as he keeps getting stronger and stronger and stronger, I think he's going to be a steal for a lot of people who may have gotten him in the lower to middle rounds. All right, moving on to the New England Patriots. Okay, Dolphins will fly up there on Saturday. They will do their typical meetings at nighttime, get on the bus in Providence for the game on Sunday, drive over to Foxborough, and play the Patriots, who will be without Tom Brady. Good chance to be without Gronkowski and the other injuries that are filing in. We just saw them, though, okay, um, go into Arizona and beat the Cardinals in their house on Monday night or Sunday night football. I texted someone of the Dolphins staff on Sunday evening and said, damn. And then I typed their name in. 
I'm not going to say it because I can't say it. And I said, you guys have this. And, and this person responded back. I know we had it in our hands. We all know. And it's not a player, but it's someone who works very closely with the players. Um, someone who's around the players every single day and um, interacts with them on a daily basis. So just that interaction with, with that person, you know, the, the, the players knew the players know they have this one in their hand. I would be very surprised if they come out flat against the Patriots because I think they, they're going to start buying into the plan with Adam Gase and the rest of the coaching staff. And they're really going to, uh, you know, push with that same intensity moving forward. And I think we're only going to see the offense improve every single week for you. Sutton, what's your one key on offense and then one key on defense for the Dolphins to win this game? One key on offense is establishing the run. Ironically enough, it's going to come back to Arian Foster and what we can do um, getting in a manageable third down. The the Patriots are just pretty solid on all levels. They don't seem to have any breathtaking athletes on their team. That's why it's so surprising that they can go into Arizona and win. God damn it, I picked them in my survivor pool, Arizona. Yeah, uh, let me down. God, I was so disappointed by that. But anyway, um, yeah, on offense, we have to be able to establish a run, keep Jimmy on the sideline, keep that crowd on their in their chairs and saying Kawada back, um, keep them in their chairs. <laughs> and then on defense, I think it's got to be how can we get to Jimmy Garoppolo and disrupt his flow. I don't want to see another smirking quarterback from the Patriots at news conferences talking about how great the other team is and how humble the Patriots feel after playing such a great opponent. I don't want to see that crap anymore. Wipe that smirk off his face right now. Get to Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> All right. Uh, House, how about you? One key on offense uh, me, and one key on defense. On offense, I think uh, they just need to protect Tannehill. Like both of you said earlier in the show, Seattle took some – Big hits on Tannehill. Tannehill got his ass kicked. Uh, I'd like to see Miami do a better job this week of protecting Tannehill, like you said, with Tunsil improving. I know Brandon Albert seemed to have a pretty off game. And just overall, just keeping Tannehill upright and protecting their quarterback and opening up those holes for Aaron Foster, like Sutton said. On defense, uh, I think they got to find a way to neutralize Gronk. I'm, I'm not 100% sure if he's playing this week, but last I heard he was, and He's easily the best tight end in the NFL. Uh, their running backs aren't quite what they were a year ago, so Miami should be okay maybe stopping the run. But in the passing game, Rob Gronkowski is the best tight end in the NFL. Miami needs to find a way to neutralize him and get to the quarterback. All right, and uh, for me, one key on offense is Tannehill taking more ownership. We heard Adam Gase you talk about you know how he wished he would have listened to him more and. They have to form a chemistry, too. Uh, Gase is calling plays for a quarterback he's never coached before. Tannehill is getting plays from a coach he's never had before. So they will continue to build his chemistry, and I'm looking forward to seeing that improve. And I think it's just you know, the more trust Gase has in Tannehill, the better this offense will flow together. On the defensive side of the ball, the Dolphins need to really lock down uh, the wide receivers. I think we're going to see a very similar game plan from the Patriots in terms of short passes. They thrive on that anyway. But we'll see more with Edelman going across the field on a quick slant and then occasionally a long bomb here and there. Of course, it's going to help if Gronkowski's not in the game, but they do have Martellus Bennett. 
which is always something to be concerned with. They have Garrett Blount, a bruiser, and they got, uh, you know, the other guys in there as well who can catch passes out of the backfield and make life a living hell if they get out in space. So the Dolphins do need to lock down their corners and press them at the line of scrimmage and rely on their pass rush again to uh, get to Garoppolo. And, you know, like you guys, his life very uncomfortable back there in the pocket. Garoppolo does not scramble like Russell Wilson does, so it should be much easier for the Dolphins to get a containment on their offense. Predictions for Sunday. All right, this is the good part of the show. Um, House, what is your prediction for Sunday? All right, um, I'm going to have to – oh, man, I'm going to have to go against the Dolphins here. I'm going to say 24-21. Uh, unfortunately, New England pulls this one out. All right, Sutton, how about you? Okay, I'm I'm just going to pick with my heart here. My brain is going to pick the Patriots, but my heart is going to pick Dolphins 27 and Woo. Patriots 20. Okay. All right. And I'm going to go along the same lines. And, and my brain says the Patriots, my heart says the Dolphins, and I've been harping on this whole consistency and intensity thing. I think the Dolphins do come out and play very competitive. Um, I think they're going to score 17 points, and I think the Patriots are going to score 14 points. I don't think it's going to be a blowout either way, and I think the Dolphins hopefully can pull it off you know, towards the end of the game there. All right, let's look at our live thread one more time. I don't see any new questions on there, guys. Do you see any more questions? No, I don't see anything on there. And just real quick, MC Money, I think something that I saw in this team in the preseason was resiliency, uh, both in the offense and the defense. So we're going to see if that's actually true about this team. If we can bounce back from a tough road defeat on the West Coast to turn around and go to a tough road game, divisional opponent on the East Coast, uh, we can get a victory here. I think, all things considered, we have to feel very, very good about this club. Um, I'm excited, and I don't think – we're a great underdog. Let's just put it that way. And I don't think uh, I don't think we're going to go into Foxborough and be shy. I think we're go we're going to go out there and play our yep. best game. And new I think, coach, new mindset. Uh, I think it's and I think it's going to go down to the fourth quarter, no matter really how it shakes out. Yeah. And we are uh, we're going to be there. So it's it's going to we're going to see if we can finish a game or not. Yep. And we just got a comment from Alpha. Of course, Alpha has to get his word in. He says, "I hate the Patriots." And I think, Alpha, you speak for every single Dolphins fan out there. All right, so we got no more new questions coming in. One person did say on Twitter, uh, and for the love of God, can we skip the national anthem bleep that ESPN loves? You will not hear any national anthem talk on Finsider Radio. So you don't have to worry about that. Thank you for joining us again this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. We will be back next Tuesday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Enjoy the game on Sunday. Let's see if it's another emotional roller coaster. Let's hope, you know, that we don't go through the same heartbreak that we went through on Sunday afternoon. I'm Matt Kanata. My co-hosts were Sutton and Houts. We hope you have a great evening and a great rest of the week. Good night. Amazon has everything for back to school. Zebra lunchbox? Check. Cool Adidas gear like t-shirts, shoes, and backpacks? Check. Triceratops folders and pencils? Check. Lasercat t-shirts? Check. 
Get your back-to-school shopping done now at Amazon.com slash back-to-school and enjoy free shipping on millions of items. No need to leave your home or hassle with crowds. Amazon.com. No better place to get everything back to school from A to Z. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.